This is a very special mini-sode of I Read Comic Books. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week is the one, the only, Nick White. Nick, how are you doing this week? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, minor correction, I'm definitely not the only. Uh, last oh. time I checked, I think I have the eighth most common first name in the U.S. and the fifth most common last name in the U.S., so... Oh, right. There's, there's definitely more than one of me. Uh, the one, the one of many, Nick the White, one, The one... Uh, from uh, one of many, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't really have a ring that way, but that's fine. So this is something that I've been talking about in all of our emails and all of our whatever that we do, internal communication about the show. You and I have about a dozen minisodes to record, and this is one of those minisodes. So to start, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about the series Grass Kings from Boom Comics. It's written by Matt Kent. It's drawn by Tyler Jenkins. And the colors are by Hillary Jenkins, even though I don't think she's credited as such in the early issues. And I'm mm-hmm. not certain if that's because initially he was doing them at that point or um, she just wasn't being credited. I, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That I, I totally didn't know that. I mean, because I had read Snowblind for the Goodreads read that we had done a while back. And I thought that Tyler Jenkins had done all of the colors, or maybe maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm wrong. I think there was actually another person who did the colors on that book, too, which is really interesting to think. I mean, I, just to get right into this, full spoilers for, for Grass Kings, if, um, the first arc, at least, that's issues one through six, not which is totally different than what it says on the actual Boom website. Issues one through six is the first arc, even though in the solicits or the synopsis <laughs> for the issues, issue right. five is considered the last issue of the arc, given how issue six opens up, or at least that's how the synopsis for issue six reads. Anyways... Then Tyler when you get Jenkins, to the end of issue six, I don't know if you noticed this, in the very last panel, it says, end arc. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I did pick that up. So whatever, uh, weird weird synopsis problems happened, I guess, and and at Boom. But one thing I I to go back to what I was trying to say, um, you know, Tyler Jenkins, it's actually surprising that someone else does his color work for this book because how do you do just the pencils and have someone else watercolor over it? That's yeah. that that just blows my mind. Anyways, so sorry, let me before we get way too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> what is sure. Grass Kings? What's it's all what's it all about? Um why did you want to talk about it this for this minisode? It's it's kind of a difficult book to talk about because I think in a lot of ways it sort of is about a lot of things and then yet on the surface it doesn't seem like it's about much. Um, which seems like a okay. weird blanket statement to yeah, me. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I guess a good perspective would be with a lot of other comics, you know, when you're describing something, you're like, okay, it's it's science fiction and it involves superheroes and these guys have powers and it's very cleanly fits into a lot of sort of arcs and, and frameworks that we're accustomed to, which is not to disparage those things. I enjoy those things just as much as the next person. Um, but with Grass Kings, it's kind of somewhat similar somewhat in line with slice of life it's it's grounded in real life it's grounded in in just everyday humanity mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. seemingly nothing fantastical or or out of place or magical about it but it's also <laughs> not not slice of life in the quirky way of oh no i forgot my uh my my paper that's due in four hours for for ap bio it's more like <laughs> help me hide a body before the local cops show up so, right right um I mean, in that it, sense it feels like a <clears throat> modern mystery novel right yeah it's it's very like rural noir um not unlike something like 
true detective yeah. um at least season one i think season two was la i haven't seen it so i can't you know ascribe that to the whole series yeah. but um it's it's sort of got that going on and sort of about a lot of the kind of quote-unquote forgotten people in the flyover states in a way even though and i don't know if you noticed this they never actually <laughs> concretely define where this place is and right. I don't know if you read that interview completely that I sent you. I but did. Matt Kent yeah. says, you know, specifically, <laughs> he did. He did not, you know, and 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 you know, knowingly did not specify. He says it's sort of like if he had to say, it's kind of in that weird border area between where the U.S. meets Canada, and and Jenkins apparently says it's it's totally Canada, like it's totally meant right, to be. Right. Canada, I think he calls it like rural prairie Canada in a way, yeah. And um, which of course is weird because I think there are certain things in the book that are undeniably American, from like the sort of the paint jobs on the police cars to other other things. It's like it's... the implication of the law felt very Americanized, mm-hmm, like in mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. that regard. So I guess to to get like a quick synopsis of the book and just to yeah. get like a brief overview of what happens in the first arc, um, sure. The story opens on this "quote unquote" grass kingdom. I guess there's a, a lot of flashbacks that happen in the book, which we'll we'll get to. But it, we we meet some characters of this "quote unquote" grass kingdom. They are in a an independent-ish city within some place in America, Canada, as Nick described, and they kind of live on their own, and they have for a long time, and they like really hold that really pridefully and they have run-ins with the law there was a murder in the past or um the king quote-unquote king's daughter he um or she disappeared in the past um so there's a lot of like threads going on with mystery that happens and a lot of like characters that are there for a specific reason what that reason is we don't know completely in the first arc but things start to unravel as the story goes on would you think that's like did i miss anything in that no, I, I I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, it's it's largely about a community that is set apart, and obviously in in real life there are some you know there are some analogs to that right now for better and for worse. And sure. We've also seen other um, comic book um, artists and writers and and I guess teams in general um, that also have been focusing on on this. Um, Brian Woods. Um, Briggsland would would perhaps maybe even be considered maybe the other side of the coin in mm-hmm. in some ways. So yeah, it's it's really about a community that wants to live apart and the difficulties that come with that. And I think for some people they would maybe look at that idea and say, well, um, you know, there must be so much freedom or you're, you know, living apart from all these restrictions and obligations. And I think this book does a very good job of saying that when you want to live apart um there are not only things that you gain but there are almost certainly things that you give up right yeah and i think that that's keenly reflected upon with the younger characters in the story oh definitely they they very much talk about the things that they don't have like for instance they don't have a movie theater in their little town they don't have you know access to the internet they don't have access to things that we really take for granted in this modern day um, of you know having cell phones and having the, the internet having the ability to call someone without a landline um, so it's it's interesting to see the 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 way that these pe- characters reflect on it because they do have records they do have beer they somehow get these some of these niceties but not all of them and I think that there's a 
like there's probably more to be said about that how this world actually works when you're thinking like well maybe there's a truck driver that comes by and just sells these guys you know beer and things like that or maybe they're brewing it themselves and putting it in cans who knows um they they <laughs> right. do go they do at one point reflect on the fact that th- it's a self-sustaining city they even have an airport which is something that's called out in the first issue like they're able to take care of themselves completely as far as they're concerned they've got someone that can take care of them if they get hurt they've got someone that knows how to make different kinds of foods they've got places to go to get gasoline things like that which again kind of begs some questions about you know we know that things like gas and distribution and stuff like that is tied to a bigger larger corporate system that usually can't exist off the grid and yet somehow this this little grass kingdom totally does um, which i thought was interesting but i don't want to focus too much on the world um, because we haven't really even gotten to the main story yet (laughs) Um, so (laughs) sure i guess so what happens in this book that that makes it so interesting to you nick um, well, I, I think when we talk about the Grass Kingdom, we have to talk about the fact that there are these these three brothers. Robert, who is, I guess, quote-unquote, I guess maybe the Grass King. I don't know. He's the one in charge. Yeah, yeah. And then he has his older brother, Bruce, who is sort of in charge of security. He has a police car. He has a police uniform. I don't know if they spell out that he used to be on the neighboring city's police force, but I think that's yeah, intimated. That's implied. I think the, the sheriff of the actual city, when, when, when the big event happens in the end in this issue, I won't reveal it now, but he does say, you know, you haven't been on the police force for two years. Why do you still drive around in that car? Why do you still carry right. you know, or wear that uniform? Um, so yeah. at some point he was a police officer in Cargill, Cargill, which is the neighboring city that the, the, headbutting tends to happen with since it's they're the city that technically has rule over the land that these people are on according to their laws but according to the grass kingdom they think no no no. we've been on this land longer than this city's been around this is ours exactly and and then you have the younger brother asher who is maybe like a a teenager i would say and so you have these three and they're sort of in charge of this community which has sort of fallen into a a state of of disrepair in certain ways. Robert's kind of a mess, and I would say that if there um, there is sort of a driving plot force trajectory, it sort of surrounds um, him kind of being in this morose state um, because he lost his daughter. Uh, I don't know how long... It, it's it's definitely been a while at this point because I yeah I um, would say maybe like fifteen or so years. Yeah, given when the woman the... shows up, he says you, yeah she would have been your age. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. And um, and so he loses his daughter, and there's sort of this interesting uncertainty as to what really happened. Did she just wander off? Um, did she go into the lake and drown? Um, was it the work of a serial killer? Which is mm-hmm. another subplot of sorts uh and that sort of puts him into a not real great headspace and that sort of puts the grass kingdom itself into a not really fully functioning um position um which causes its own set of problems right at the beginning of the book so um for me i i think what's really interesting is that this book in a lot of ways is one that focuses on the land as a character Right. Yeah. And I love I love the beginning of each issue because at the beginning of each issue, 
you sort of you automatically get a little caption which says like hey by the way it's it's like uh, 500 bc or by the way it's you know it's it's 1952 or something and mm-hmm. you get several pages of this glimpse into what was going on at that point in the very same place in the very same you know geogra- geographical location and <clears throat> you get these different portraits of um you know one one native american like bludgeoning another native american to death and then in the next one you have you know this white dude shooting a native american while his horrified son watches and you have this um i I think what's interesting is is that i've I've tried to make sense of all of these and it's kind of this just non-stop passage that like humanity will come and go like violence will come and go but but the land itself is is eternal and mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. idea that you can fight over it this idea that you can own it this idea that you can control it time will make fools of everyone you know right and i find that really interesting and it adds this kind of creepy or mysterious or ominous sort of property to the land in a way and to the lake the lake itself especially um and I, I, I find that kind of fascinating, especially when you reach that issue. I think it's it's five or six where the the prelude to the issue is the sort of like free love 1960s biker gang thing. Do you remember oh, this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and the Which guy. Is, well, it's interest, especially interesting given the like story that had happened in the previous five issues, because I'm pretty sure that's the opening to issue six. Okay, um, six, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's five or six, or, yeah. Or maybe it was five, yeah, either way. is very yeah. later in the story, which is super relevant. And I think that that even hardens to your, your point of saying, like, or it makes me think that this, this that the flashbacks are relevant to the like story as in like a sense of foreshadowing. Oh, um, but sure, anyway, yeah. to, your, to your point, to your point. Yeah, and so you have this, this biker guy, and of course the cops show up, and they're like, <laughs> guess what? You can't just set up tents um on our property and just hang out and have a good time first off we're mad because you're having a a good time of course and then second (laughs) off we're just furious that you're here and so a fight breaks out and this this biker dude gets slammed to the ground and you see the blood trickling out of his um his mouth and leaking into the ground and then you have this fascinating just morbidly like you can't look away cross section of like all of the you know striations of of the the dirt and the soil as it goes down from the topsoil and mm-hmm. buried underneath all these layers are all these weapons and tools of of violence and malevolence from all of those previous um prefacing sections of the previous issues so yeah. you have this idea you know that quote unquote i guess you know the the violence runs deep you know it's something that's mm-hmm. literally in the the blood is in the ground and 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 so are these tools and it's something that um you know it might be <laughs> the violence might be quote unquote buried from time to time but it's just waiting for another chance to resurface and i think that's that for me might be the most powerful image in in the whole arc for me at yeah. least yeah it's a that's a that was probably one of the more interesting flashbacks that they had outside of they did flashback to like 500 AD or something and there yeah. was a fucking dragon in the sky. I don't know if you caught that. One of yes. the opening pages has like knights in armor riding across the land 
and then there was a fucking dragon in the background. I was like, hold on a second. There, I thought there wasn't going to be any supernatural stuff in this, which kind of makes me think that there's not not that the book is going to turn supernatural, mm. but that there is something very subtly supernatural going on here in that like this land is cursed and that whoever mm. tries to claim it will be damned no matter what they do. And we kind of see that reflected in the story because the as the as the story goes on, you know, this woman shows up turns out that she is the literally emerges from the lake literally. yeah literally comes out of the lake Wades and maybe this lake. is this is some big like excalibur story or something like oh, that sure. that we just haven't figured out but you know she comes out of the lake um it turns out that she is the wife of the sheriff in cargill and she, he the sheriff in cargill terrible man she's trying to escape him so what does she do she swims across this giant lake which seems unbelievable that she could do because this she's is a massive 40 lake. miles they say it's and 40 miles yeah, she when swam they ask 40 her miles. how she pulled that off, she says that she rested, like, halfway through on, like, the neighboring island. Like, maybe it's me, like, restricting sports to, like, table tennis and um, Mario Golf, but for <laughs> me, that seems like... I don't care how good you are, like, that it's, it's, seems crazy. It's sheer determination. I mean, sure. and I think that that, like, adds to the more subtle, oh, maybe yeah, not makes complete supernatural stuff. What's going but, on here? Yeah. Exactly. And so she shows up. Turns out the sheriff is a, is a super bad guy. Um, and one thing leads to another. The sheriff figures she escaped. And I'm gonna. He's gonna go find her. She must be in the Grass Kingdom. So he sends somebody there. They kill that guy, and then they have to cover up a murder, which leads to a whole big war. And I'm I'm very much summarizing this because I don't. I, I think you should really go read this book. It's a really solid book. I don't want to completely spoil all the intricate details, but still, like this, the whole thing builds up. And meanwhile, each issue we're getting a little bit of foreshadowing in this in these flashbacks about things that are coming in the current issue, to the point where there's a giant bomb that goes off in the foreshadowing piece. I believe is the flashback I was talking about with the dragon in the background, like some unbelievable. Oh, the dragon's clearly thing. an analog for the airplane. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, it's a beautiful sh- it, like and it, Tyler Jenkins is art, and his I'm assuming his wife's colors on this, mm-hmm. um, like unbelievable tying those two moments together. I think the way that they've tied the flashbacks into the actual story is seamless every single time. And like you'll see a page with the flashback and you'll move to thinking you're going to see another page of it and it turns out it's the current day and it's these beautiful mirrored shots or these beautiful like um comprised shots of the past and the current pre- and the present. It's really well done. Um but yeah, I th- I just like there's so many things that really blew me away about this book and I'm surprised because at when I first saw this book I had no real major interest in it. I thought it looked pretty, but I didn't think that there was any major kind of story in it for me, but Nick being the presser and pusher of hard drug, I mean comic books that he yeah, is. That's um, right. he got me into this. I bought it on sale and I was like holy shit and now I'm, you know, reading it week to week. It's or month to month. It's such a fantastic story. Um I could say that, like, if you like a good mystery story, I think this is this is a fantastic one because the way that this arc wraps up, tying back some some very like well placed pieces of or clues, I guess, early in the story about this serial killer, and leading that into the second arc, I think is a fantastic way to do things. Um, and I think I can say that without really spoiling anything too much about this book. Um, even though I said full spoilers, I do want not, I do want to like leave a little bit of mystery and action stuff for people to go actually read this book, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. <clears throat> One of the things I really like about Jenkins' art is that 
you don't always get a real spectrum of texture and and sort of um i guess color density if there's a way of putting it with watercolors and i feel like oh sure um with jenkins you have this real blotchy sloppy messiness that almost kind of echoes um i believe matt wilson's colors on um witches oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i, I totally see some see that. of that um even though that that wasn't watercolor i don't think i think that was just you know um digital but uh with the idea of an aesthetic that apes watercolor anyway yeah um but with with jenkins you have this whole sort of spectrum and and things can get blotchy and messy when they need to and things can get a lot more um you know coloring within the lines and and defined at at certain points and if you look um what i like the most are when you look at robert's flashbacks i don't know if you noticed this you you probably did you, I was going to mention the flashbacks. So you noticed this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the um the backgrounds get like really weak and sort of like poorly defined. You know, there will be like cabinets or something in the background, and all of a sudden, like the the very already super uh, kind of wavy and and not that bold like defining lines setting them like they just drift off. Like they oh just yeah, disappear. I was gonna yeah. say as soon as you started talking about the art like that, I mean, all I could think of was how minimalist he became when it came to the flashbacks, as if he was, as if the character was remembering something, but it was really foggy. trying. Yeah, and so yeah. you only remember like just kind of like faces, and you don't really remember the backgrounds of things. You mm-hmm. just kind of see pieces and splotches of things that meant the most to you. And as yeah. the memory became more intense, so also did the art. Which, like, fucking cool. Like, what what a clever way to do that. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I love that so much. Just how just things get kind of blurry. And, and then the coloring that's used for those scenes. Like, yes. It's almost like a three-year-old. You're given like, giving, like, a three-year-old a crayon. And you say, like, color in the person's face. And they just draw some, like, big diagonal lines over the, the <laughs> face of the character. Because, like, that's what yeah. it is. Like, he's, like, sort of broadly coloring the characters faces in um and it's 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 not it's almost not like he's coloring in their face but he's sort of like indicating like their mood in a way like that's exactly what i thought yeah when you look at that page where it's i think it's it's um a five five by two and it's portraits and it's five portraits of robert going um north to south and five portraits of his wife also going north to south Mm -hmm. um all of them lining up with the other respective you know what i mean right yeah yeah and so you've got these reactions between him and his wife and they sort of look like they're meant to reenact the stages of grief after the daughter dies and um I thought that was really, 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 really well done. Oh, yeah. And and again, you sort of have this interesting kind of fragmented coloring. But as the emotions get more intense and angry, I think things become a bit better defined. But the way that Jenkins does, like, tries to visually approach such a seemingly intangible, ineffable topic as memory, I think is just really, really, really well done. Um, yeah. It's sort of just, as you said, it kind of, it shows someone who's attempting to grasp, like, the the few things that they remember, and then the rest of it just kind of falls away. Well, yeah, which this kind of reminded me of the um, Intersect book that uh, came out from... Uh, I think it was Image. Uh, Ray Fox. Yeah, yeah, it was from Ray Fox at Image. Um, and while that book 
didn't really sit well with me. Um, I, I did read the first issue, and th I'm getting the same kind of feelings from this when we're talking about these memory flashbacks in Grass Kings, because it was it's really abstract. Like, all of Intersect is very, very abstract, and I think that there is... Um, from my understanding, if continuing to read that series, apparently things get a little bit clearer and, and, under, and well, more well-defined. Um, but the whole book itself is very much like a, it's trying to express feelings through art rather than trying to tell a story with art. Um, which I think is really interesting to see a book like this, like Grass Kings, with a very straightforward-ish storyline. Um, or at least it has a storyline right. that you can follow. Um, yeah, I wouldn't call this book experimental in the same way that yeah. you, could, you would probably label um, uh, Fox's uh, narrative as such, yeah. Yeah, and to see them actually bring in these experimental part pieces of art to try to express that kind of feeling um, is really interesting. I think it makes this book richer, um, like, completely. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I, I'm just also really glad because I think this is a pretty good step for Boom away from what they were doing and maybe you know, embracing a little bit more diversity in terms of the titles that they publish and Yes, a lot of what they have is more for younger kids, and yes, some of it is is franchises. And and again, neither of those things are wrong or bad. It's it's totally fine. Kids need mm -hmm. to be reading comics. This stuff is age appropriate. I don't think they're franchise whoring all over the place like other publishers uh, do or used to. Um, but right. it is nice to see them stepping away from that, and and especially to do such with with such you know prominent. Um, creators, you know, because I mean, Matt can go pick up any comic book. His name is probably on it, but you know, <laughs> yeah. with with Tyler Jenkins, you know, as it is with with most line artists, um, you 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 decide to draw one book, and until that book ends or until you move off of it, like that book is your life. You're not gonna right. <laughs> be drawing anything else. So yeah, um, and and uh, I, I think. As, as is the case for a lot of other books, it is true that the second arc does tend to um, slow things down a bit, and it, it goes into um, more of character pieces about some of these people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's really interesting is that having reread the first arc again recently, um, that only pushed my interest in the second arc even more because I forgot how... Um, how much these characters were actually already there like you sort of flash back and forth between them a bit but um in the first arc but th they're still there and it's not like my memory which was like oh i don't know maybe we saw this guy once and now it's a whole issue about him i don't know how i mm -hmm. feel about that but y you see these characters especially like for, for example in the in the lead up to the battle where you see robert and um and Bruce going around town and it's really interesting because you get these little glimpses into these people and you just get like a photograph more or less you know this one static image of them you know what are they doing where do they live what does their home look like you know what can you extrapolate from that and oh yeah these singular images of of them in a certain time and place doing a certain thing um there's so much information to parse even even from those yeah, well, and especially because a lot of them we had seen in very other, in like a couple of other brief glances, you know, mm -hmm. where we get a one-off mm -hmm. line from them or we get them to say, hey, you know, Jim or whatever their name is, um, and you get to take them in then, you get a first impression real quick, and then to see this follow-up as they go through the town and, and catch up with everyone to say, hey, this big 
fight's going to happen, do what you're going to do, and seeing their decisions after that is really cool to try to like build these characters without spending a ton of time on them. Um, and I think and that's I, I think that that's a very clever way to write in a full cast of characters without being super focal on them and doing like a whole mini story about them. Yeah, honestly, Matt Kent's first issue is a very interesting um, masterclass approach to how do I try to front load um, this series with a whole bunch of locations, a whole bunch of characters, um, without making it feel tacked on. And so this idea that the this information is distributed as kind of an informal tour to the individual who's trespassing uh, <laughs> yeah, in the first yeah. issue, and he's basically getting a quote-unquote guided tour from the back of a um, locked police car, um, you know, with the with the bars and the you know everything set up, um, was was really creative, and I think that that was probably one of my more favorite things that sort of came out of it is I'm like, wow, you actually kind of snuck all of us in and found it a way to introduce all of these characters and whatnot and and not, you know, not spend too much time on them, but at least introduce them so down the line we can go, okay, this isn't like some deus ex machina character or something. We've, right. we've, we've seen this person before. So. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that the second time I read through this series because I had read the first four issues um, and then kind of stopped um, then I said, that, hey, let's do the, you know, you said, let's do this minisode. And I was like, okay, cool. And I reread, you know, one through four and then five and six. And being so caught up and having reread them all, like, really, really helped. Like, this is almost a book I could probably read a third time and pick up even more minor details as I read more and more of the book. Um, I think there's only, you know, a lot of books do this, but someone like Kent, I think, does this in a very skillful way where when you do go back and reread, you catch a lot more detail every time and you appreciate it more and more every time you read it. Um, oh, totally. And I don't think there's a lot of comic books that are like that with the exception of, you know, something like Chew or that's about it. I think it's just Chew. I think that does it. Uh, <laughs> Chew's the only one. Uh, yeah. you've no, heard I mean, there's a, there's a lot of other books that are like that, but I think... But it's you know, not this, everybody. Yeah, it's not it's not every single comic, and so this is... It's like a good novel, I, and I keep comparing this to, like, novels because I think that this is at that same level of, like, you get someone really into this series if it was completely out and to say, okay, here's four volumes, and they get really into it and want to reread it and reread it, reread it, and it sits in this spectrum of being a comic book but also being like i feel like i could give this to someone who likes a good murder mystery and even if they didn't read comic books before this would still fit well because of like the pacing and the characters and just the realistic feel that this whole book has yeah no there's there's definitely a real subsection of of either a potential readers or b current comic book readers um that are very much for better or for worse um everything they need to read has got to be quote-unquote grounded um <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know a few most people know a few you know yeah. no yeah. no magic no dragons no no mecha zords or anything like that for me thank you i just want people fighting and maybe there's some drugs involved and <laughs> <laughs> And this book, this book is for you. There's, there's your poll quote. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. Uh, if you want grounded humanity with maybe a little bit of a fantastical, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know if this is magic realism yet or not. There might be some hints that, some faint hints that um, things are not what they seem. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. 
I mean, and I think that's a good recommendation for the book. So I think we could wrap this up. I, honestly, everyone should go read this book. At least try the first volume if you can get your hands on it. It's it's a very solid read, especially if you can read all six issues in a go. Holy cow, you will be through this series, through the first volume before you realize it. It, it moves at a very quick pace um, because the story is, is like very, very engaging and exciting. Yeah, and for those looking to pick this up, I think, unfortunately, the only trade right now is like a hardcover deluxe for like 30 bucks or something like that. I don't think it's even out yet. Um, but for those looking for a more uh, affordable alternative, of course, I'm sure it will hit your library at some point. And beyond yeah. that, I think at least the first, you know, the first arc, the first six issues, what we're talking about, um, I think boom books go down from $4 to $2 after a month. So yeah, they do. You, you can get the first arc right now for like 12 bucks, which isn't, you know, it isn't bad. So Yeah. And I think by the time this airs, this will be a little bit more available than it is now. Because I think Grass Kings currently is on issue 9 or 10. and 11. Um, I don't... I don't mean to date this this episode too much, but uh, yeah, go out and look <laughs> Richard for it. Richard Nixon it'll, it'll is president, be. everyone. Uh, and, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, cool. Well, all right. So that that was that was our discussion on Grass Kings. Nick, thanks so much for pushing me to do this. Um, we have like nine oh, or yeah, ten no more problem. minisodes to record. I'm pretty sure. So hopefully we'll air them in order so that people don't get confused. Um, where can people find you on the internet, Nick? Uh, people can find me at uh, on Twitter at Death Star Plans. And that's pretty much it. Cool. You can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin. You can also follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we retweet stuff, post polls every Friday. It's a whole lot of fun. I, I just get on there and just start spamming people with stuff. So follow us, and I will send you some cool things. And you can you can berate me on Twitter. I love it. You can also check out our website, ircbpodcast.com, where we have a pronunciation guide on how to say comic book creators' names, as well as where you can get all the episodes of our show and other stuff that we post there, including our Kickstarter page. Um, make sure to go rate and subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Do all that fun stuff. Send us emails. We love talking to people. Send us questions. We've got Q&A episodes that we do once a quarter during the year, so we're going to be answering people's questions. Um, Infinity Shred does all the music for our show. They are the absolute best band in the universe. Xander is a wizard. He also edits the show he's the man and finally i want to say thank you for listening thank you for listening thank you for listening until next time <laughs>